0: Well, I've heard it said that you are what you worship, or to to say it another way, that you you tend to become like whatever you most idolize, that whatever you have the greatest sort of admiration or affection for, you, you tend to kind of grow toward Think about it this way. Think about the kid who throws on the Mitch Marner jersey, Mitch Marner of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and, you know, they they imagine themselves as Mitch Marner. They uh, religiously watch all the the highlight reels of Mitch Marner. You know, they they even practice and faithfully attempt Marner-like dangles that even as a kid, at least to some degree, they become a little bit more like Mitch Marner. And I think this is true in so many facets of our lives that you know, if you, you really love or maybe even idolize your work, you kind of make it the center of your life. You, you tend to grow to the top of your field. Or think about your favorite show, the show that you watch religiously. Uh, We tend to find ourselves quoting the characters, maybe even mimicking them, behaving a little bit like them. Or maybe if you're you're a real foodie, you find yourself constantly trying new and creative recipes and actually becoming more of an expert in, in the art of cuisine. You know, I think there's truth to it that at least to some degree, you are what you worship or you become like what you worship. Now, with that in the back of our minds, uh, we want to dive into this week's passage of our study of the biblical book known as the Letter to the Philippians. So if you have a Bible with you or Bible app, you could open to Philippians chapter 1. And we've learned uh, that this book uh, is, in fact, a letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his friends at a church that he had planted about a decade earlier in a Roman colony known as Philippi. And uh, his friends in Philippi, they were actually experiencing um, significant opposition uh, and even some threats of division among them. That's critical to remember uh, in the context of this entire letter as we kind of work through the passages, that there was this opposition or threat of division that the community was experiencing. And as we've seen so far, um, Paul is full of affection and joy as he writes this letter. And, And what's fascinating about that is that Paul was actually experiencing some opposition of his own and some severe separation of his own, separated from his friends, because Paul was writing all of this from a prison cell in Rome. Now, today we're picking up the text uh, in the back half of chapter one, verse 18, kind of the end of verse 18, where Paul writes, uh, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Well, here it, it kind of sounds like Paul's picking up on a theme and sure enough, he's picking up on the theme of last week where he's rejoicing because of the advancement of the good news of Jesus even in spite of that advancement happening in prison where he find him, finds himself, and in the, the Roman church, even if with it happening with some mixed motives. Um, but he's experiencing joy and rejoicing because the advancing of this good news had become the sole purpose of Paul's life and the sole purpose he wanted for the Philippians as well. And here he continues to rejoice because he says uh, in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's saying that uh, because of the Philippians' persistent and heartfelt prayers for him, as well as as God's care and God's provision of the the resurrected Holy Spirit of Jesus, he basically says that that things are going to be okay for him. Um, But when it comes to things being okay for Paul, uh, like, what does that mean? Because it it almost sounds like Paul somehow knows or expects that he's going to be released. So what does Paul mean by deliverance? Well, he, he goes on, he says, you know, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. And then listen to this. He says, whether by life or by death. So what's Paul saying here? He starts by saying that he's continuing to rejoice, to celebrate, to worship, to be joyful, even though he's locked in prison. And he he seems to say that, that he's going to be released, which would really make the joy and celebration make sense. But then he describes what he actually expects and hopes, clarifying that what causes him to rejoice is that Christ will be exalted whether he lives or dies. You see, Paul wasn't just in prison. Paul was on trial while he was in prison, awaiting trial. He was on trial for preaching the good news of Jesus, a trial that could very likely end in a death sentence. But because of how Paul had seen the saving news of Jesus advance, what God was up to even while he was in prison, Paul seemed to know that God would continue to use him to bring glory to Jesus even if he didn't make it out alive. That even if condemned to death, Paul wouldn't have to despair in shame because somehow Christ would be exalted, whether by his life or by his death. Now, to pause here for a moment and just think about that, like this, this is a profound take on life. Um, this is a seemingly nonsensical reason to rejoice. I mean, how, how can Paul continue to rejoice, you know, when as he's chained in prison, you know, he also knows that his very life is on the line. Well, Paul, he, uh, he kind of takes this perspective to a whole other level in verse one, verse 21, where he writes this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die to die is gain, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> Say what, Paul? Um, I kind of imagined that the, the way, you know, these letters were experienced, what happened was someone would take the letter back to the community, to this community in Philippi, and when they were all gathered together, uh, someone would read it aloud so they could hear it together. And I imagine someone, you know, when they got to this part, throwing up their hand and saying, wait, wait, can, can you read that last line again? Uh, what did Paul say about living and dying? That for to me, to live is Christ and, and to die is gain? What we see here is that for Paul, um, all of what life had come to mean was Jesus. That ever since Paul, as, as an angry and cynical persecutor of Christians just decade, a decade earlier, that's who he had been, um, ever since he had personally encountered the risen Jesus, all of life For Paul had become defined by living for and worshiping Jesus all in a way that had dramatically changed his perspective on his life and circumstances. And it was actually because of the resurrection of Jesus that now the prospect of dying, um, it had suddenly become only gain to Paul. It was as though dying had become this inevitable doorway to the fullest of life and resurrection with Jesus because of Jesus's sovereignty even over death, seen because of his resurrection. Paul unpacked this further um, in the next verses saying, you know, if I'm going to go living on in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I'll keep getting to live for Christ. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But listen to this, he says, but it is more necessary for you That I remain in the body. What Paul's saying is that, you know, if he remains alive, there's more work he can do for Christ. For him, to live is Christ. You know, he could keep on praying to Christ. He can keep on worshiping Christ. He can keep on rejoicing and encouraging in the name of Christ. He can keep on telling anyone and everyone, especially the guards who are chained to him 24 7, about Christ. And he could keep on nurturing the life of Christ and his friends in Philippi, and it's interesting. He describes himself uh, as feeling torn, sort of as though he had a, a choice in the matter, which is kind of a hypothetical reflection. But he, where he knows that if he were to face death, you know, he'd experience the fullness of resurrected life in Christ, which would be ultimate fulfillment for him. But he also recognizes that because of the opposition and the threat of division being faced by the Philippians, he knew that it was actually more necessary and beneficial to them for him to remain alive. And because a life in Christ is also a life about others, something seemed to tell Paul deep inside that his life's work to serve others was not yet done, Even, even if Paul's greater benefit was to be fully with Christ in verse 25 Paul continues "Convinced of this I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith." Paul saying that because my life has become about Christ, my life has also become about others. That because Christ lived to serve, and for me to live is Christ, Christ's outcome for me will most likely be for me to remain in order to serve and benefit you. And why does all of this continue to bring Paul joy, have him continuing rejoicing? He wraps up this section in verse 26 by saying, I know that I will remain, as we already heard, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He says, however this plays out, kind of whatever the outcome, but believing Jesus will keep me around to see and serve you again, because that's what's best for you. And Jesus wants what's best for you. What makes everything okay, what makes everything worth rejoicing, what makes everything harmonious in Paul's spirit, and he wants it to be able to be harmonious for the Philippians, is that Jesus is going to get the credit. That both while in prison or even more so if and when Paul gets to return to the Philippians, Paul's joyful because Christ will be exalted. Because boasting in Jesus, that's the, the phrase he uses here, boasting in Jesus means more people having confidence in Jesus, means more people trusting in Jesus, means more people worshiping Jesus. It means more people putting faith in and betting life on Jesus. And Paul says that if, if all of that happens and the faith of the Philippians progresses, it means more and more credit and more and more glory for Jesus. And that's Paul's ultimate cause to continue rejoicing. What we see in this section of Paul's letter to the Philippians um, is that Paul's life had thoroughly become about Christ. And when your life is about Christ, it it changes your entire perspective. It changes your perspective on life. It changes your perspective on your circumstances, um, even in the face of intense opposition. And then when your life is about Christ, and therefore your your personal circumstances are no longer something that can steal your hope and your courage um, or your harmony with others, that now lets you extend that hope and courage and harmony to others all in a way that gives Christ glory. So what is this passage then saying to us? What does this mean for us today and how can we apply this to our lives? I think there's at least uh, two layers of application for us today. I think one that, that's personal and one that, that's quite communal for us. First, I think personally, um, it's worth asking ourselves, uh, what is life to us? Um, what are our lives actually most about and how, uh, whatever our lives are about, whatever's kind of the center of our lives, um, How is it affecting our circumstances or our capacity in the face of opposition or threats of division? You know, if Paul could say and encourage the Philippians to say, you know, for to me to live is Christ, then I want us to consider for for a few moments, you know, how would we finish this sentence? As in, for me to live is blank. Because the truth is, I think we can make our lives about a lot of things. We have got options before us. You know, for some of us, maybe for me to live is work. Uh, For me to live is achievement or success or, or, or recognition. And how might making success the center of our lives actually be creating a stress in our lives that is wearing us down you know, maybe for others of us, for me to live uh, is, is money or it's stuff, it's vehicles or it's vacations. And it actually just kind of causes us to just obsess about um, our bottom line or our net worth or our retirement. Um, what about for me to live is the weekend or parties or friends or relationships or sex? And how might making those things kind of the, the, the blank that we fill in, the what we live for, actually be leaving us more empty than when we started? Um, maybe for me to live is to look smart. Um, for me to live is my home renovation. For me to live is my kids' activities and successes. For me to live is travel hockey. I am not just giving you general examples, but offering some confession. Um, because we can make our lives about a lot of things, but I'm not sure how many of them actually deliver on the hope and courage that we can find in Christ, especially in the face of opposition. But what if, like Paul, we sought to make our lives thoroughly about Christ? How might this change our lives? How might this change our perspectives? How might this change our ability to face difficulty, to face opposition? How might this change the things that feel like prisons in our lives? How might just this change what it means to, to face death? Let me ask you another question. Um, you know, what feels like a prison cell to you these days? What in your life feels like a death sentence? Um, are you... Uh, struggling through what feels like a dead end job that might be feeling like it's taken you nowhere, um, what relationship feels like it's it's dead beat that you have lost hope for, um, what financial burden uh, has you feeling in chains, what what diagnosis or cancer treatment or chronic illness um, feels like it's just taken your life captive. What grief or addiction or pain from your past feels like walls just closing in around you? And how might life in Christ actually be able to transform, have the power to transform the despair of opposition or prison or even death to the hope and courage that Paul found in Christ and wanted to share with the Philippians? I think that's what this this text this part of the letter can mean for us personally. And then on a communal level altogether if if our lives were more about Christ how might our lives become more about each other? And what's beautiful here is that I think paradoxically and coincidentally, it's also as we make our lives more about each other that our lives increasingly become more about Christ. It's as though making our lives about others is the pathway to making our lives about Christ. We see this in two ways in this passage. First, by recognizing that we actually don't live for Christ alone. We recognize that making our lives about Christ doesn't happen by doing it alone. That's why Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians, to his friends who are the church and community in Philippi. Um, It's why uh, Paul, even though he had such a hope in Christ, that would have preferred to go be fully with Christ, he declared in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you. Because life in Christ is not a solo sport becoming a for me to live in Christ or to live is Christ person, I believe it starts by actually participating in and together becoming a for us to live is Christ community. Those are the communities that Paul had been a part of. Those were the communities that Paul was planting. That's the community that, that Paul had planted and was seeking to nurture in Philippi. That in community, with a common prayer and a common purpose and a common perspective in Christ, we increasingly become for us to live is Christ people. Um, I think this takes shape for us as a community when together we make Christ the one we worship. We make Christ the center of our affection. We make Christ the only one we want to get all the credit. Because ultimately, if if we're living for things other than Christ, not only do we miss out on the hope and courage that comes from life being about Christ, but we easily fall into the trap of uh, seeking individual credit. That when The center of our affection or even our worship is our own interests, our own ideas, our own passions, our own successes, maybe even our own ideas about being the church together. Um, It's that credit-seeking, individual credit-seeking that threatens to divide us rather than unite us in the harmony of love that Paul's letter to the Philippians is all about And that's where Paul began and ended this passage, binding it all together by declaring his highest goal, his highest purpose or perspective that regardless of what happens, Christ will be exalted and boasting in Christ will abound. What we see is that glorifying Jesus, worshiping and centering our hearts on him is actually both the end And the means to transforming us, not just into for me to live as Christ individuals, but altogether into a for us to live is Christ community. And as we do that, we actually experience the hope and the courage in the face of opposition and the joy and the harmony in any threat of division. In the prisons and the deaths and the threats of division in our lives. That's the song sheet we want to sing off in this Preaching to the Choir series. As a choir for Christ, singing in harmony, living in harmony, that Christ would be exalted, that Christ would be boasted in, that Christ would be magnified. And so that as we do, we together will slowly but surely become more like who we worship, become like the Christ who didn't just endure prison or a potential death sentence, but went intentionally, willingly, purposefully, all the way to his sacrificial death on the cross so that resurrection life could be gained for all. Friends, you are what you worship. And what you worship, what you make your life about, it has just this defining impact on our capacity to face opposition um, and our ability or inability uh, to live in the harmony that God wants for us, that God intends for us. Um, But here's the good news, that in the church, we, all together, we can be who we worship. We can be um, a harmony of love in the name of Jesus when we worship him together. So may we be a community that is bound together in harmony by singing off the same song sheet, worshiping and glorifying the risen Christ so that we too can live like Paul and the Philippians in hope and rejoicing, declaring for us to live is Christ and to die, to die is only gain. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you gave your life for us. And then you overcame death by rising again so that we could participate in a, for us to live as Christ and to die as only gain way of life. Um, May we set aside all the other things that could take uh, place of you in our lives that could distract us from making you the center of our attention and affection, um, causing us to miss the hope and the courage that you you desire to instill in us. Um, And as we seek to center on you, may we center on you together, wanting you to have the credit, wanting you to have the glory, wanting you to be the only one that binds us together in a harmony of love. Would you make that more and more real in our lives and our community today? Give us the hope and courage we need from you and give us the joy and the harmony that you desire for us. We love you and we thank you and it's in your name we pray, amen.